Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. As we continue our series through Colossians, titled Jesus, First Place in Everything. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week. And begin reading in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Paul says these words, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanksgiving to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we have Paul's gospel-shaped prayer for the Colossians. If God were to answer all the prayers that you have prayed for others, what would be healthier, their bodies or their souls? It's important that we pray for each other. Uh, you know, Paul, even in the armor of God passage where Paul talks about all this spiritual armor that we have and the wrestling that we do with Satan and his forces... Ephesians 6.18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, which kind of leads to this principle. One of the greatest opportunities we have in prayer is to enter the spiritual battles of others. One of the greatest opportunities we have in prayer is to enter into the, the spiritual battles of others. What is prayer? What is, what is prayer? We're very, very foundationally, very simply, prayer is our communication with God. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. But prayer is also a place, not only where we, we have communion with God and we communicate with God, but also where we intercede for others. We pray for others. That's where we take, where one Christian comes to God and they bring before God another individual or another group of people, and they bring them before God and request God on their behalf. Which is a great thing for us, because this means that we can, we can serve God and we can serve others without technology or without any skill. You may not be able to you know, replace somebody's drywall if it goes kaputz, or you may not be able to fix somebody's car, you may not have the skill maybe or the technology maybe even to do certain things with the computer or whatever, but you can pray, you can pray for others, you can serve others. So many times prayer is an, an afterthought to us as we, we kind of come to the end of our own strength, we come to the end of our own ways and we say, well, I guess all I can do now is pray, right? that's often how we think of it. 
we should rejoice in the ability and the opportunity that we get to pray. Now, Paul in this passage, he is sharing with the Colossians how he prayed for them. This is something he does, does in many of his letters. You can go to Ephesians chapter 1, you can go to Philippians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. All mention, Paul is sharing with them, here's how I am praying for you. Um, and here in Colossians chapter 1. Now remember the purpose of this letter, we talked about two weeks ago, the purpose of this letter is to, to give a big, big picture of Jesus to the Colossians. They're facing many different doctrines and beliefs, and they're tempted in many different ways. They're a young church in a dying small town, and, he's, and here Paul wants to say Jesus must have first place. He must be preeminent in all things, and that is what he centers his prayer on. He's praying for their spiritual needs. Now you might be asking, well, is it ever okay to pray for physical needs? The answer is absolutely yes, and we ought to. Uh, at the church I formerly pastored, there was a, a dear lady in the church uh, going through cancer, and and uh, I remember I can't remember exactly the, the circumstances, but it kind of took a turn for the worse, and they they rushed her up to to uh, uh, the Mayo Clinic in uh, Minneapolis. And I remember we I I called everybody in the church. Um, and I said, I think it was Thursday or Friday night maybe, and I said, tonight, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whatever it was. So we're going to meet, and we're just going to pray for God to heal her and to deliver her. And we did, and we met, and we just did a little popcorn prayer for probably an hour. And we just poured out to God, asking for God to deliver her. And it wasn't very long after that that she died from that cancer. But it's, of course, okay, and we ought to be praying for God's mercy to be on relationships and bodies and health and all those things. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, after Paul mentions that he was delivered from deadly peril, he says this. He says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So here he is saying, We have just been delivered from these deadly perils. Keep praying. He, pray, uh, he asked for prayer in Philippians, that, that, that he would be delivered from prison and be able to come. So yes, we pray for the physical needs of others, but we must also pray for the health of each other's souls. This morning we're going to look at the three requests in Paul's gospel-shaped prayer that should be a part of our prayers for others as well. The three requests he made. Number one, he prayed that they might have spiritual insight. Spiritual insight or knowledge. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, what he's saying here, I want you, more than anything, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, for us and, and God's will, that's often a mystery, isn't it? We, we get so caught up in, what's, what's God's will for my life? And we, we often approach God with this, give me a sign approach. Now, have you ever done that? You're like, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, then, then, then you would cause my car's tire to go flat, you know, or something like that. Or, God, if you really want me to do this, give me a sign, you know, and we dream up signs in our mind of how that might look. Well, maybe somebody will come out of the blue and tell me something that was exactly what I was thinking, and then I'll know I'm supposed to do this. You're like, why does this guy know so much about it? Uh, we've done, done it, been there. He's like, give me a sign, tell me what's best. But really that approach is basically going to God and saying, well, when it comes to what should happen in my life, God, really I know what's best. I'm just looking for some way for you to approve it. 
It's a rejection of his word. And it's subjecting God to our desires and to us in our ways. And so we're praying for others. And this is, I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a give and take here, both as we look at ourselves and as we look at our prayers for others. But we ought to be careful not to care more about what God hasn't revealed than obeying what he has revealed. We have to be careful about caring more about what God hasn't revealed than obeying what he has. Our obligation is not to look for lightning bolts in the sky to tell us what car to buy, what house to move into, uh, who to date, who to marry, you know, whether or not we should go to Target or Walmart today. That's just not exactly what God's will is for. We're here to obey what he has revealed. And so he says, I want you to be filled. The word filled, it's a great word. It means something to have total control of you. So Ephesians 5.18 which says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's Paul saying there? That when you get drunk, you've got enough alcohol in your system. What takes control of your life is not the spirit, but it's, it's the alcohol. And we can throw other things in there. Anger. You can be filled with anger. You can be filled with lust. Be filled with sorrow or fear, bitterness, resentment, and on and on the list can go. We can be filled with so many things and that becomes what controls our lives. But Paul is praying that they be totally controlled by the knowledge of God. That they would know him. Have you prayed for that? For others? For yourself? Now, they already know the gospel. They already know God. That's back in verse 6. He says, it's already come to you. It's already bearing fruit. You've already believed it and understood it. You already know who God is. Now he's saying, I want you to grow in that. Grow in that knowledge. Uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, is one of my favorite verses on knowing God. Because it says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let's keep moving. To know the Lord. Uh, Knowing God is never a sit still sort of thing in scripture. It's an ever increasing depth of knowing who he is and what he has for us. But you might be saying, okay, then then what is God's will? Well, scripture gives us a few pointers as to what God's will is. Number one is to be saved. It says God doesn't desire anyone to perish. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. We already touched on it's it's his will for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, This is God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So there's God's will for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, it says very clearly, This is God's will, that you would submit to your government. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, This is God's will for you, be thankful. Be thankful. And then there's a plethora of other stuff obviously going on in the New Testament other than those things. You can wonder, what is God's will in my life for my life? What is God's will for my life? I would ask you, are you I mean, what are, how are these things looking in your life? And I ask you, as you pray for God's will on the behalf of others, I mean, are we, are we praying this sort of spiritual prayer that they might have this spiritual insight into what God wants them to have and what God wants them to know, that they might know God and know his will? We must start with God's will. Because next it goes into all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We've got to start with God's revealed will in his word. An understanding of knowing God 
An understanding of knowing his absolute truth is the very foundation to being able to learn what God has for us in everyday life. We, we learn what God is like. We learn the principles of scripture that he has revealed to us. We know God. We know the truth. We understand his principles. And then we can apply that to everyday life. So decisions on purchases and moves and family and money and relationships, how to spend your time and a host of other things are the outflow, making those decisions are an outflow of knowing God, his truth, and his principles. That's where it starts. You know God, you know his truth, you know his principles, and I'm not saying every decision will be easy. I'm not saying every decision is going to at first make sense in every, at, at every moment, but we start there and that's what these decisions, they flow out of. We ought to be more concerned about spiritual insight than special instructions. You know, people come to us and say, I just don't know what to do. And, you know, we, we, we immediately tap into our, to our, you know, professional counselor and our professional, you know, wisdom instructor and think, well, let me, you know, I, let me see if I can find the special instructions from God from you. I mean, you're having trouble doing it. I can help you out. But we have to be more concerned about spiritual insight than special instructions. We ought not to forget God's word in our day-to-day life. Uh, just the other day, I was, I was, at, I was at Walmart and we were, we were checking out, and we had a gift card, and the gift card wasn't working as we were, we clicked, we were doing the self-checkout, and we clicked gift card, and we were sliding it through, and it just wasn't working. So I called uh, the, the lady that was working over in the self-checkout, and she came over, and she tried it and didn't work. And I said, well, I know there's, a, there's $100 on this gift card. And so she says, okay, well, let me go get um, my manager. So her manager came over, and she tried a couple things, and then finally she did something, and we were able to swipe, and it worked. And so her manager, we, we finished kind of checking out and, and uh, paying for the remaining balance or whatever. And the manager, I saw kind of go back and explain to her what she did um, so she would know for next time. And the, the same lady that was working there, she came up to adjust something on the shelves. And I looked over. I was somewhat jokingly, but I, I said, aren't you glad that this happened today? I mean, now you've learned something new today. I mean, it just makes your whole, your, your whole work day worth it, doesn't it? And she looked at me. She goes, I'll probably forget it. It's <laughs> like... We can't forget to put God's word into practice. God has told us how to do things in life. He's told us what he expects of us. He tells us what it means to be faithful. We can't forget to start there. So what does your prayer life look like as you pray for others? Is this something you should maybe add to your list? That, you, that others might be filled with the knowledge of God? That they have true spiritual insight? In your, in your own life, we ought not to ask God for lightning in the sky when he has promised that through his Holy Spirit he would enlighten us. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I think many times we're like the disciples. After Jesus ascended, they're just staring into heaven and an angel comes like, what are you doing? Why are you staring? Why are you staring in the clouds? The disciples are like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, Jesus just went up there. And what did Jesus just tell you to do? So you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go places. And here, we are, here they are just staring up in the clouds. And the angel's like, he's going to come back. You go do what he told you to do. There's no greater need for someone facing financial difficulties than to have spiritual knowledge about who God is and what God wants of them. 
That might be hard to believe. There's a second thing Paul prayed for them. Not only spiritual insight, he prayed for practical growth. Verse 10 and 11, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul here is going to pray that these spiritual insights they have, so they've, they know God, they know his will, they know his, all these things, they have this spiritual insight, now he's going to pray f- for what results. And that is just practical growth. The key to spirituality, the key, the key to living a spiritual life is that there is no key. There aren't five steps, five rules, three keys, whatever. Spirituality, spiritual life, spiritual fruit is the outflow of spiritual insight. What Paul prayed for in them knowing God was to lead them to live and lead a worthy walk. Very simple. First result of knowing God, and he's going to give a number of them here. He's going to give us five. Five results of knowing God. Number one is a worthy walk. What does the word walk mean? He said time and time again in scripture this word walk. Well, it refers to the pattern of one's daily life. What is the pattern of your daily life? Day to day, Monday through Saturday, Sunday, Monday to Monday, I guess 24-7. What is the pattern of your daily life? That's what your walk is. It's your daily conduct, your, your, your personal conduct as you lead your life every single day. And for the Christian here, it must be rooted in Christ. And so we have Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who gave himself for me. He loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are doomed if we try to do this in our own strength, but we have to make it our aim to please him. Notice that's what it says. Walking man of the world, fully pleasing to him. Actually, so the next one, what, is, what does practical growth look like? Well, it's, it's a worthy walk, a day-to-day life that is, that is worthy of Jesus Christ, worthy to resemble who he is. It looks like Christ. And then he says, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So that's the second one, bearing fruit. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what's going on here is a believer is going from someone who's caught up in wickedness and evil and, and, and wicked and sinful attitudes and all these things, and now good works are starting to show up in their lives. Again, looking back at Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, it says they, they were this fruit. It says the gospel is, has come to you and is bearing fruit. So it's almost the idea is, is the Colossians, this church in Colossae, they were the fruit of the gospel. And now he's saying, now that you are the fruit of the gospel, go bear fruit. Let that seed that came within you through the gospel, now let that bear fruit on the outside as you walk worthy of him and you bear fruit in good works. Paul is praying for intensive growth, intensive growth in the believer. Number three, he's also praying, he says, bear fruit, and then he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Man, here it comes again. Where Paul says he wants this sort of continuous growth. They would walk worthy, they'd bear fruit, they'd have this continuous growth that isn't, 
hampered by any sin or bacteria of sin or, or any, any, any foulness in their hearts. But that w- they would grow deeper in the knowledge of God. And then notice he says here, not only, not only is this life, is, are you going to exhibit a worthy walk, you're going to bear fruit, you're going to continually grow, but you're also going to have this limitless strength. Limitless strength. Man, that, that, I look at the guys in here like, all right, let's go. Now we're talking, okay? Now, we, now, we're, now we're getting somewhere. Strength, power. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Man, the power and the strength and the might to endure trials and be patient with people. Amen? Yeah. Right? A lack of power in the physical world can be a result of a disaster and it can lead to disaster. And we just look at our friends down in Texas personal friends of ours that have had to basically tear out almost every wall in their house because of all the water damage from frozen pipes bursting and all those things. A lack of power is a serious thing. But God offers power that won't go out and it won't run out. And it's directly connected, if you notice, to his glory, which means God's glory will sooner diminish than you be out of a power source. This is the power. In order for you and I to have practical growth in Christ, we need his power. There's nothing else that will enable us to walk worthily. And remember, Paul is talking here about a number of different things coming to the, this Colossian church. And they've got things like different, different, uh, different, different asceticism, you know, stay away from this stuff, or different legalistic ideas of here's what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do, here's the philosophies you should do, here's different things you can trust in. And Paul, you're saying that nothing else will enable you. Nothing else will enable you. There's not a book, a philosophy, or anything like that that will enable you to walk worthily of Christ. You need his power. Uh, Similarly, Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He prayed for them to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power. God is going, he's talking about kind of day-to-day life here. And so we're not, we're not looking to move mountains. This is not the mountain passage. I remember growing up, I'd always hear the, the passage preached on, you, you know, the faith to move mountains. I'm like, on the way home, I'm, I was a young kid, but on the way home, I'm, I'd just like stick my head out the window and try to move like stop signs. I'm like, man, I really don't have any faith at all. Let alone a mountain, I can't even move this stop sign, you know? And we're like, man, that's what we get caught up in. What, can, what great things can I do? But here he's talking about just day-to-day life. And he's talking about here endurance and suffering and patience with people. He's saying, listen, I will give you the strength you need as you face different circumstances. The word for power in this is the Greek word. You don't need to remember the Greek word. It's not that big of a deal, but it's dunamao. It's where we get our word dynamite. We are strengthened with the greatest strength possible. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says. Look at it. It says, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God. There's a lot of power in an erupting volcano. We just sent another rover to a planet 
120 million miles away or something like that. There's power in that. The hydrogen bomb can create a heat ball 31 times hotter than our sun. That's power. But none of those things are described as the power of God. Not a volcano, not some great scientific feat, not a bomb. It isn't the power of God the gospel is. Which means if you have the gospel, you have the power of God. Whoa. And that's what we need. As we pray for people, that's what they need. What's going what's gonna to give somebody the strength to face cancer? What's going to give somebody the strength to face a job loss? What's going to give somebody strength to face a divorce? What's going to give somebody the strength to overcome an addiction to drugs or alcohol or anything else? What's it going to be? We ought to bring people before God and ask for that practical outcome, that practical growth that comes from knowing him. For the power of the gospel, for them to bear fruit even in their suffering, for them to walk worthily even in their suffering. That's what we need, the indwelling presence of God. And the whole thing about this is it works best when you admit your weakness. Isn't that what Paul says? Jesus said to him after he was praying for him to remove this thorn of his flesh, he says, no, my, my power is perfected in your weakness. You want this power, admit your weakness. And he says this joyous endurance. We already talked about this. The endurance part is, is most likely this, it means long-suffering. So probably this, or this uh, endurance means perseverance. So the idea there to persevere in trials. And the word patience means long-suffering. You're kind of, you know, the slow burn. You're a patient person. So that there would be, you'd have the power, you'd have this, this life that exhibits this practical growth from a knowledge of God. The idea here is that you are, you're able to hold your ground when the enemy is attacking. It doesn't come from personal bravery or anything like that. It comes from God. We have to be praying for people. For that knowledge of God and his will and that practical outgrowing of what the gospel does when it comes inside a person. We have to be praying that for ourselves, our kids, our wives, those who are struggling physically. Which is why if you hear me pray, I'll often pray for God's mercy on someone who's struggling physically. But I'll also pray, God, give them peace, your grace. Give them your comfort. Give them a sense of your presence. Give them, as they struggle in their souls, help them. The third one, Paul, the third request Paul prays, number one, spiritual insight. Number two, he prays for this practical growth. And number three, continual praise. We pray that other people would continually praise God. I think, yes, we should. Notice it says, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Giving thanks. Our prayers should include thanksgiving. It should include prayers for others. It should include thanksgiving. And it could even include a request that the person we're praying for would have this continual growth in praise to God. All praise would go to him. 
And notice what, we, notice what we primarily praise God for. We can so easily fly over this. Notice what he's praying for here. That the, that the very object of their thanks and their praise would be the gospel. The salvation that's ours through Christ. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. That's the center of our praise. Salvation is a gift. We won't truly be thankful for something if we don't think it's a gift. But salvation, it is not earned, deserved, or bought. It's a gift to those who turn to Jesus by faith. We'll never be thankful, truly thankful for something we think we deserve, or if we don't think ourselves are really that bad, you know, we sing that song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Yeah, I'm sure there's other people really poor and needy that are broken by the fall that really need to come to Jesus, but it's not me. My life's going pretty good right now. And we can cease to be thankful that we've been saved from the wrath to come, if indeed you have been saved from the wrath to come. Now what Paul gives here, he gives basically this, this uh, three-word summary of the gospel, or three, the three-word summary of the doctrine of salvation, which I think will help us as we praise God and pray for others to praise as well. Number one, that word, the word inheritance. The word inheritance. Giving thanks to the Father. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Father. God is our Father. I'm not, ama- I'm not as amazed at that as I should be. Because at one time he was my sentencing judge. Sitting over me. With his wrath ready to go. All to me. Eternity in hell. For as long as God is holy. That's how long hell will last. And here God is ready to cut loose the dam, so to speak, and let the floods of his wrath come up pouring on me. And then in his love, he himself and the man, Jesus Christ, steps in and absorbs it all of himself. And now he's not my sentencing judge. He's my father. He's my father. We go from destined to hell to fit for heaven. How can we not praise him for that? How can we not pray for others that they would see that if they're, if they're Christians and they, and they know the gospel and they're believers, that they would see it? Colossians 1.21, we'll get there uh, next week, Lord willing, where he says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Ephesians chapter 2 is the beginning. There is another description of those who are without God, no hope. Utterly helpless. I mean, it says that word qualified. Nothing special about that word other than the only thing you and I ever qualified for apart from Jesus Christ was God's wrath. That's it. But God qualified us. Notice it was God who qualified us. I didn't qualify myself. You don't qualify yourself. It's God who qualifies us through Jesus Christ. And we have a great hope. We, we don't deserve this on our holiest of days. So we have the word inheritance and then the word deliverance, which means to to rescue. Christians have been, notice here, it's been taken out of Satan's kingdom. Out of the domain of darkness. Paul asked for deliverance a number of times. 
Christians, and according to Paul, I don't think he ever asked for deliverance from, from anything other than what was, was rooted in the gospel. Understanding that Jesus had already conquered Satan. As a matter of fact, he's going to say that here. Any prayer for deliverance was rooted in the fact that he had already been delivered. That's how we need to live. We don't need to ask God to deliver us. We need to live as those who have been delivered. Mercy and grace available to help us. And then the third word here, not only did he, we have this inheritance, we were delivered, but also we're transferred. So, you know, God didn't just pick us up and kind of just set us, you know, closer to outside the enemy lines. Um, He completely transferred us out of Satan's kingdom. He transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Total and complete removal. It's like a military rescue. When we have a military rescue, the military goes in to completely remove uh, the, the captured soldier, whatever it might be, completely out of enemy territory. They don't just leave them in partway. It's total removal. When a prisoner gets set free, they don't wear the shackles out. It's total freedom. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are right now in God's kingdom. It's a spiritual reality. Yes, there's a kingdom to come. But it's a spiritual reality right now. You have a special relationship with God on this earth. And this, notice the last few words there, it's all because we have been redeemed and our sins have been forgiven. The total removal of the penalty. Psalm 103.12, you know the verse very well. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Totally gone. Which means when you get to heaven, you won't find your sins anywhere. They won't be hanging on the wall. They won't be in some basement closet in the dark corner pushed off to the side. There's not going to be an old archive of them anywhere to be found. It won't be brought up. Total removal. And a word for those who... Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior and you're living under the power structure of evil and chaos and you're headed for judgment. Know this, God paid the ransom price to set you free. He himself became a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to absorb the very wrath of God that is heading for you and anyone who believes on him will be saved. And you can have this sentencing judge become your father through trust in Jesus Christ, believing on him in your heart. And you can be set free from your slavery and your imprisonment. And I don't care if your name's on the membership roll or not. If you don't know Christ, that means nothing. That's not what removes the wrath of God. So what if someone's going through a divorce, like we mentioned, battling cancer, has an addiction, deeply depressed, or if someone is sorrowful, what if it's you? Pray for God to show mercy on their circumstances. Absolutely. But more importantly, pray for their souls. Pray that they would hope in God. Pray for that spiritual insight and knowledge of who God is. Pray for that practical growth, a worthy walk, the power of God to be at work in their lives. And pray for that continual praise. Pray for them to have this ever-deepening thankfulness for their salvation. These are the three request Paul made in this gospel-centered prayer. I trust that they might be a part of yours as well. Let's pray. Oh God, so many needs, the list of things we face, endless. Lord, we know our greatest problem is in our hearts and in our souls, that through suffering and different circumstances, 
Those are what reveal what's really in our hearts. And Lord, you've, you've promised not to forsake us when we go a little bit off the path. But you promise to help us and you promise to give us your gospel to strengthen us. You give us your word that we might know you and follow you. You give us power to face the sufferings and the people that cause us so much heart, heartache in this life. And you've given us reason to be thankful and to praise you no matter what we're facing. So Lord, would you shape our prayers like you did Paul's, a gospel-shaped prayer as we intercede for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name.